You're listening to Podiatry Marketing, conversations on building a successful podiatry practice with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, and with me today is Jim McDonald. And we, if it sounds like we're giggling a lot, it's because this is about the fifth take we've done of starting this. I keep calling him a criminal mastermind, so which he might be. I don't know. We, we do know each other pretty well. So, Jim, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. I haven't committed any crimes yet today, but I still have about uh, three hours left here in, in Montreal to do so. Um, I'm happy to be your partner in crime, and uh, <laughs> hopefully uh, we haven't lost the entire audience who thinks that marketing is a crime. But uh, uh, I think it's not do. marketing that's the real. It's not marketing that's a real crime. But uh, no, I'm excited to jump in with you today and, uh, and talk a little bit about today's topic. Uh, I know. Once we start, we'll stop laughing. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about developing expertise in a niche. So what does that mean? From from your perspective, what does that mean? Yeah, so I think it's really about kind of uh, podiatrists taking an active role in seeking out kind of the type of care that they want to provide, right? So developing an expertise in kind of a subspecialty of podiatry and then finding the right messaging uh, and really kind of putting it out there for the public to see. I think last time we talked in great detail about why it's important to start with kind of a uh, ideal patient. But this is more, I would say, internal motivation from the actual podiatrists themselves. You know, you know, some of us went to school, podiatry school, for a very specific reason. Yeah. Uh, there's something that motivated us to kind of get us into the profession. So it's how do we translate that initial motivation? And, and it can change over time. It doesn't have to be the exact same thing. But how do you kind of build a practice that is uh, separating yourself or differentiating yourself from kind of other providers, whether it's um, in the profession or healthcare providers in general. So when you say motivators to get into it, so other than money, um, <laughs> which is, which is, I know some people did podiatry purely because they knew it made good money. So, but I know a lot of other people got into podiatry because they might have been a sports person. So they've always had that interest in sports. Or my background was art. So when I heard that you could make these things called orthotics, you did them by hand and did plaster casts, that actually really excited me, which is why I went down that pathway. So is that what you mean by when people, they get into the health profession, they get into podiatry for a certain reason, and then they, they actually follow that interest? Yeah, for sure. I think they're, I mean, not everybody's that way, but I think someone either, for, for me example, when I was younger, I was, I was always a kind of competitive runner and had yeah. all kinds of foot and ankle and lower leg issues. And, uh, you know, seeing a kind of a top level podiatrist who had treated some Olympic level athletes was pretty inspiring to me. And, uh, you know, kind of wanting to get into that sports medicine and that running niche was kind of what I definitely could see myself doing something like that. So that's what was kind of my initial driver to learn more about the profession. You know, obviously, as I jumped into it more, there's a huge different types of opportunities available. You know, maybe somebody, uh, you know, it's not, wasn't my case, but maybe someone, you know, has had to deal with, you know, diabetes and the complications of diabetes uh, as a family member, yeah. um, you know, that had something like that, that it was kind of a motivational thing about how they learned about, you know, foot care uh, and, and those ways. Uh, obviously, like, you know, the, the combination of kind of clinical and surgical uh, aspects of things is somewhat appealing, especially in the U.S. to some people that want to, um, you know, kind of jump into a subspecialty right away. But it's trying to find like, um, I would say that like, the first point is like, knowing kind of what you what you what kind of care you want to do more of, mm -hmm. whether that's from your initial 
you know, motivation or kind of where you've learned along the path during your education and your residency about this is the type of a practice you want to have? Like, do you want to be going to the hospital all the time? Do you want to treat wounds? Do you want to treat runners? Do you want to treat sports medicine athletes? And then it's about, you know, taking action off of the, you know, those things are going to provide more professional uh, satisfaction in a way. Well, I suppose it's one of those things too. It's like nail surgery, for example. Like in Australia, there's some people that really love nail surgery and they want to niche down into that area. And sometimes they get afraid, oh, if I niche into one area, once again, am I going to lose patients? And I'm thinking, no, you will just see more if of that type of thing that you want to see. And I don't think someone from high school sort of sits back and goes, oh, I want to do more nail surgery. That's probably one of those skills or specialities that once you're in podiatry, you work out, oh, I actually really enjoy that. And maybe yeah, diabetic foot care might be the same thing, unless you've had a family member that may have been expo- you've been exposed to it that way. But if you haven't been, that may be something you gain an interest in once you actually start working. You don't even know that that actually really floats your boat until you do more of it. No, you're completely right there. And I think it's a matter of tapping into that interest and that area of kind of professional satisfaction, but also it has to be, you know, grounded in kind of the financial realities of the the area of the country or the type of, you know, reimbursement or the type, the financial aspect of your practice as yeah. well. Because if, you know, like if you're treating runners and, um, you know, you're not getting uh, compensated fairly for orthotics or other types of treatment, then like maybe you can still do some of that uh, in some different capacities, but you know, in order to kind of be a, a viable business, uh, you know, as a private practice, it's super important that those, in, you know, you find those areas that you're interested in professionally, but it also ties into the financial reality of what you're doing and how you're practicing. And would you say, depends where you live as well, like the size of the area that you live in, if you want to treat, say, a lot of sports people, but you live in a really, really small country town, then that may not be as feasible an idea if you're in a larger city where you're, you're exposed to a lot more people. No, 100%. I think you have to like, you have to understand the demographics, the population. Uh, you know, if you move to uh, the middle of the desert, you're not, and, and you want to have a, a skiing practice or a ski orthotics practice in the middle yeah. of the desert, like you're, you're probably not in the right spot. So, I mean, it, there's definitely ways that um, if you're already set up somewhere that you can niche your practice or kind of treat more of your ideal patients, but obviously, uh, taking into account kind of what the reality of the surrounding you know, area is, is super important uh, to kind of be cognizant of, you know, where your struggles are, where the opportunities are, because every, you know, every, every location, whether it be a big city, a small town, in the mountains, on the ocean, you know, there's going to be subsets uh, of different types of patients that are going to live in those specific areas. But yeah. when you know, when you know what you want your specific niche to be or your area of expertise, uh, it's super important uh, to, like I said, have an active plan to differentiate yourself. And sometimes that's, it's not only just marketing necessarily, but it's, you know, if you want to be a sports medicine podiatrist, maybe it's being a part of the American Academy of Podiatric Sports Medicine or going to the American College of Sports Medicine meetings or meeting more people in, you know, volunteering at an event in your local area like the marathon or applying to work at the Olympic trials. There, there's ways to kind of, um, expand your reach. You know, so even if let's say you're in a smaller location, if you have a, a resume or training that's beyond the scope of uh, uh, you know the other providers in a local area, maybe those types of steps will help you expand geographically along with uh, the types of patients you treat, but also 
get your name your name more well known so people are willing to come and see you for very specific types of problems. It makes perfect sense because you might have an interest in wounds, for example. So if you have an interest in wounds or if you have an interest in dermatology, like I said, you need to go along to the events where these things are being held where you can actually learn more about it. And and sometimes too, the person who creates a niche or becomes a bit of an expert in a particular area Normally, they don't know a huge amount more than... It's not like they know 10 times more than the average podiatrist. They just know more than the average podiatrist. And they have an interest in that area. And it, I don't think it takes long for word to get around when you're actually good in a particular area of podiatry, more so than the average podiatrist. And then you can use that in your advertising, your marketing, and therefore you start seeing more of those patients and your expertise gets even better than the average podiatrist. And I think it helps you actually develop win-win relationships with other podiatrists because, you know, sometimes we see ourselves as this one profession. We are podiatrists, right? So like the the podiatrists down the street, oh no, like they opened up, you know, two blocks away. Now we're having competition with each other, right? It doesn't have to be that way. Um, Maybe that podiatrist likes to do wound care and you like to do sports medicine. Maybe he hates seeing runners, right? But there's some, sometimes runners can be a bit high maintenance. You know, they they want to run. (laughs) They want to run 50 to 60 miles a week and not take any time off despite you telling them to rest and do do things like that. So, you know, there are ways to, you know, develop these win-win relationships, even within a, you know, a tight community of podiatrists that, everyone's kind of getting what they want out of it. Obviously, like if there's a lot of kind of niche, you know, crossover, maybe that's not quite as possible, but you'd be surprised how many of these kind of win-win relationships you can have with other, even podiatrists in your local areas. You know, it's, you know, if you're in sports medicine, it's with, you know, physical therapists or physios, you know, chiropractors, just general sports medicine doctors, even, even orthopods in your area and you're in the U S maybe, you know, they love doing knees and shoulders, and they just kind of do feet because they have to and people mm. come into the clinic. But if you're referring them or, you know, you, you develop a good working relationship with some of these other specialties, it can really help your own practice grow. So you can, like I said, do more of the the work you love and really kind of double down on your expertise and be seen as that local expert. And I think it's really important what you said about working with other podiatrists. It's not, you, you don't always have to be in competition. It can be a win-win. And I think any podiatrist that's moving into a new town and you're about to set up a practice is get on the phone, ring up the existing podiatrist in the area and say you want to have a meeting with them over a coffee and get to actually meet them. Not every podiatrist out there is is mean or nasty or wants to be a competitor. There's I've heard so many stories of podiatrists that have moved into an area and the existing podiatrist that has reached out and said hey i see that you knew you want to catch up for a coffee and all they get is crickets the person <laughs> and then the next thing they're hearing negative stuff about them and they go I, I don't get it so i think if you're the new person going into town ring up the existing people tell them you're coming to well tell them you don't have to tell them or give them warning that you're coming wait till you open your doors surprise them surprise and but then have a meeting with them and find out what are they good at? What is something that they like that you may, like you said, but that you may not like? And you go, oh, great. I don't like seeing those sort of patients. Can I send them to you? And start actually creating referral relationships with other podiatrists in your area. And therefore, it gives you more time to niche into a certain spot. 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think you're you're trying to kind of build your own kind of uh, podiatry network in your local community there, right? The the goal of everybody in, in that community of podiatrists is to you know, provide great care to the to the to the patients in the local community. So if you can, you know, become an expert and be really really good at, you know, a subset of patients or kind of a, a niche focus, then you're able to really, you know, provide great care for those patients in the local area. Um, I was lucky enough when I was in Eugene, Oregon, um, even when I joined a larger orthopedic group, you know, a lot of private practice podiatrists were, were kind to me. And we had, I think it was monthly meetings where we get together, um, all have dinner and yeah. just kind of like talk about, you know, difficult cases, um, talk about, you know, how our, how the business is going or how the practice is going. And people were very welcoming uh, to me as a, as a young podiatrist straight out of residency. So I'm all for collaboration and, you know, finding win-win relationships with other people, whether it's podiatrists, other specialties, because at the end of the day, we're all trying to help patients solve their problems and live, you know, happier, healthier lives. So. Yeah. Have you got any examples of people that, or podiatrists that you know, that have niched their practice a certain way that have done well, what, what the type of things they've niched into? Because I, I know a couple that come to mind, but I'm going to let you have a shot first. Yeah, sure. So like the, probably the one that I've kind of been fixated on or when I was in school wanted to be like was a guy by the name of Amal Saxena. He's a uh, highly regarded uh, sports medicine podiatrist and surgeon who has operated basically almost on every single uh, Olympic uh, medalist from the United States over the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. And um, he practices in Palo Alto, California. He's someone that's a, a very good, he's a member of the American Academy of Podiatric Sports Medicine and a lot of other organizations, but he's someone that, you know, has a very uh, specific focus like in sports medicine and it's pretty narrow. Yeah. Um, but there's there's definitely definitely examples of other podiatrists uh, in the US and in Canada that do something similar. But like when I was going through my training and in school, he was like the kind of person that I kind of looked up to and I saw the research papers he was writing about running and sports medicine and uh, was is kind of a, a motivation for me uh, getting into practice. Yeah, well, a couple that come to mind to me straight away, uh, Joseph Frankel, who's in Victoria, and he loves wounds. So he's really tried to create a niche in that area. But I remember when he was on my other podcast and we were talking about it, I'm pretty sure he said it was like oh, about 10 or 20% of his patients were related to wounds. So he still the 80% of his practice was still general podiatry with a bit of sports, a bit of everything. But about 10 to 20% was in that area that he really, really liked. And he was getting well known for that. And then another clinic, NK Active in UK, Nick Knight, they are purely, they're just a sports clinic. And that's what they've really based everything around. They don't do any general foot care. They've niched in that area and they are doing extremely well. So there's just room. There's room for you to, so you've got Nick Knight that's doing it 100% sports. But then you've got like Joseph that's doing 10 or 20% in an area he loves, but they're both really happy the way they've got it set up. I think you're perfect. Like, those are two perfect examples um, because, you know, niching or developing an expertise, it's kind of a, it, you know, it's, it's a spectrum. It's not like you have to like, if you decide that you want to see more runners, right? You don't have to like necessarily go all in yeah. and, you know, turn everybody away. I think that's one of the things that we sometimes, you know, when I bring up a topic, at least from the, the clients I work with initially is like, we really need to put out a specific message. So when people you know, look at your website or they, you know, if they interact with you, they see kind of themselves in the treatment chair, right? So it, it's definitely, 
it, and it does, like I said, it doesn't have to have to happen overnight and you don't necessarily have to live in a big city to make it happen. But if you can get, you know, 20% or 25% of the, you know, the types of doing the type of care that you like to provide, you know, it's going to lead to a more professional satisfaction. You're just going to enjoy going to work more. Um, but really, like I said, like it's about, it, it just, it's helpful in so many other ways because, you know, you can really pr project that, um, that message out into the public. Uh, and then you have a clear path as far as, you know, which conferences do you want to go to? You know, what, you know, how do you want to expand on your expertise? Mm. Um, and, and, and just really kind of go in deep, um, as, as deep as you want to. You know, maybe it's not as deep as, you know, Amal Saxena or some of the folks that you've mentioned, but um, when, when, you, when you do niche though, you look different, you know, you're different from everybody else. You're not just another podiatry clinic, um, in your community well when i had my last clinic in cairns and if anyone had asked us most of the people i spoke to friends and all that if somebody said describe what my clinic was all about they'd say oh it's a sports biomechanics orthotics clinic that's pretty much the description you went to our website all you would have seen was sports biomechanics orthotics that's it but when i had a look at the figures and i did this just recently i had a look at my last figures from 2015 2016 before i sold it 30% of our income came from general foot care. So we were technically 70% biomechanics, sports, and orthotics, but 30% of our income came from general foot care. But if you went to our website, we wouldn't have even mentioned that general foot care was there. So we never turned it away, but we did it on certain days, and we, we managed a practice that we wanted to put out a certain message. This is what we wanted to niche in, but we still saw other patients that was not really our ideal patients, but we treated them anyway. No, I think that's a great point. I think that's that kind of addresses the overall fear, right? Is that if, yeah. if I don't have if I don't have eighty different diagnoses, you know, like on my homepage with with a drop down tab to see like every <laughs> single thing a patient could come come to my clinic for, like my website is not complete, right? But you said, like you said, just by kind of developing that area of expertise and basing your marketing messages around that expertise, you're, it's almost like a, a gravitational pull of other types of procedures, other types of patients are gonna be pulled into your clinic, um, but you, 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 know, you don't have to actually spend any marketing on them. You can just kind of find their way to your door and yeah, whatever you wanna treat, you, know, you, you can treat more of those types of patients. In the last episode, when we were talking about my ideal patient, and I described, my ideal patient, you know, 42 year old male, and I went through it all. Now, this, he was a real person. I won't say his name, but he, <laughs> he was, and I saw him just a couple of weeks ago, I gave him a wave. He was just my ideal patient. And I see him, saw him for over 20 years. So he's 42 when he started, but he's not 42 now. And, but what was interesting about, about him, we'll call him George. What was interesting about George was George started out as a biomechanical patient. But then after that, he was also then coming in for general foot care. So if I looked at how much money George spent with me, say, over a couple of year period, probably 70% of it was to do with sports, biomechanics and orthotics, but 30% was general foot care. So it's the thing, when, you, when you're targeting a certain area, you're still going to get all aspects of podiatry if that's what you, you're still willing to treat. No, for sure. For sure, that's a great example. And I love what you said about websites too, where you get a website, you'll click on the drop-down box and all of a sudden 42 <laughs> things pop up. And I'll tell you right now, there's no patient scrolling through and they're going, have you got something here about cracked heels? No, nah, no, nah, no, nah, you don't. So therefore, I'm not going to go and see you. They just assume 
you're a podiatrist. You're going to do cracked heels unless you tell them otherwise when they ring up. No, 100%. I think you just really have to like keep it as tight as as your local community allows, you know, as, as large as your population is. But like I said, you can always build those things up and, you know, having a tighter marketing message and kind of your how you how people view you. You know, it starts with like how you view yourself, though, right? Like, yeah. um, like we've been talking about, like you have to really understand who you are, what you want, and then what's what's a realistic, you know, estimation in your local area, and then you know you experiment doing some different things, whether it's your website or you know the things you sponsor or just being out in the community or the conferences you go to or the relationships with other providers. Maybe you start a sports medicine you know if you want to do running or sports medicine maybe start a sports medicine journal club that invites anybody of any you know any provider with any specialty in so there's there's no limit to um the ability to kind of like put your name out there and put your stamp on what exactly you want to do it's a matter of um you know obviously we're busy we're doing things it's finding those time efficient ways to um get those messages in front of the right people no i agree with you and I have nothing else really to mention on this particular subject other than I think you've nailed it in so, in so many different ways of just and I think we've we've looked outside of niching more than what people probably thought this episode was going to be about. Well, it's it's easy when you see like it's going to be about niching where they're going to tell me I have to do this one type of yeah. procedure or I have, to, I have to do this one type of you know one type of like kind of subspecialty. I mean, like you mentioned previously like just someone who is like laser focused on saying that they do ingrown toenails, you know, and just does a lot of things around to ingrown toenails is going to gain more awareness for that than someone that has 30 things on the website. Right. So um, it's not about like saying you only do something and or otherwise you're going to fail. Right. But by having a little bit more of a focus, you're able to kind of craft your messages and get it out in front of those ideal patients in a way that, um, you know, it's going to help you build uh, a, a practice that you're excited to go to each day and uh, really help people uh, and provide them with, with great care. So yeah, it's been fun talking with you today, Tyson. I can't wait uh, for our next one. No, so uh, well, the next one's going to be even better than the first four we've done. But <laughs> before, what's the what's the name of our website if people want to go to the website where we've got set up for podiatry marketing? Yeah, so if people just check out podiatry.marketing, that is the URL. There's no .com, there's no www. If you just type in podiatry.marketing to your browser, you can uh, check out our episodes and uh, feel free to leave us a voicemail. Uh, let us know what you think about the episodes thus far and what you'd like to see in the future. That'd be cool. Okay, Jim, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, Tyson. Thanks for listening to Podiatry Marketing with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Subscribe and learn more at Podiatry Marketing. That's the website address, podiatry.marketing.